The Ukraine-Russia crisis, as tensions mount, what's the cybersecurity picture? And the cryptocurrency cybercrime challenge. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. Russia has moved 175,000 soldiers to its border with Ukraine in an apparent prelude to an invasion. The move comes as Russian President Vladimir Putin has continued to criticize NATO and Ukraine's plans to join the organization. And cybersecurity experts are warning that there's been an increase too in the tempo of Russian intelligence and disinformation operations. Joining me to discuss is executive editor Matthew Schwartz. So, Matt, how much do we know about President Putin's motivations? His motivations, his intentions, unfortunately, are not clear. But the United States and other NATO members are concerned by this obvious show of force. And the fear is that President Putin will further invade Ukraine to create more of a buffer should it join NATO. So at the moment, we have NATO calling on Russia to withdraw from Crimea. That's the part of Ukraine it's occupied since 2014. And NATO is also calling on Moscow to use diplomatic channels for further discussions. On Sunday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said that President Biden had spoken with the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, and made clear that the U.S. and its allies and partners would quote, respond decisively if Russia further invades Ukraine. So obviously we have a lot of tension in the area. We have a lot of Western governments attempting to defuse the situation, but Putin's exact intentions and his next steps still remain unclear. And what's the cybersecurity picture? So speaking right before Christmas, a White House senior official, speaking on background, told reporters that, among other things, Russia has been advancing disinformation campaigns that seek to undermine Ukraine's president and also to build the case for Russia to act in a military fashion. So the official told us that they've been seeing stepped-up efforts by the government to do what they have often done in advance of these sorts of incursions in the past. So more disinformation, also driving this public narrative that it's Ukraine escalating the conflict rather than Russia doing it. Now, the official said, let's be clear here, we have not seen any escalation on the part of Ukraine. And they have also been saying to their partners that, you know, this is just a Russian disinformation playbook that we've seen before, and it's being followed again. At the same time, we've also seen an increased tempo, as you said, of Russian cyber operations. Dmitry Alperovich, who's the former chief technology officer of cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike, has noted that since the beginning of December, there's been a big increase in intrusions against key Ukrainian organizations and institutions, both government and civilian networks, including banking, also other infrastructure and government. And he says the targets are precisely the ones that you would expect to be targeted for intelligence collection and for battlefield preparation ahead of an invasion. And this isn't the first time we've seen Russia mess with Ukraine's cybersecurity, is it? No, there's been a lot of messing, unfortunately, for Ukraine. So Kieran Martin, who ran GCHQ's National Cybersecurity Center here in the UK, 
recently told the BBC, and I love this, for many years, Ukraine has been Russia's cyber playground. Ukraine is where Russia goes to experiment. The former head of GCHQ, Robert Hannigan, was speaking at InfoSecurity Europe a few years back. And he just noted that Russia has this predilection for live testing things in Ukraine, unfortunately for Ukraine. For example, in the dead of winter, parts of Ukraine lost power in 2015 and 2016. And those attacks have been widely ascribed to Russia. Why? Again, it appears to have just been experimentation. Same again in 2017, we had the NotPetya destructive malware outbreak. The CIA said that was Russia. It was traced to an update server for a software firm. And apparently destructive malware was snuck into that and then distributed to everybody who used this tax accounting software. And unfortunately, just about all of Ukraine used it. Massive disruption. So security experts I've been speaking with say that Russia likely has much more of this sort of thing up its sleeve. It's likely been pre-positioning these kinds of attacks and capabilities for years, ready to unleash them if it begins a ground invasion. Turn off the banks, turn off the power, cause chaos via trojanized software updates, and who knows what else. So amidst this backdrop, we have NATO and other world leaders calling on Putin to de-escalate. And they're saying that they want to see these next steps that they're urging occur via diplomatic channels. They're saying no de-escalation, no diplomacy. Next step, President Putin, what will happen? Hopefully we won't see further invasion of Ukraine, but no one's sure what's going to happen next. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. On November 1st of last year, a new data privacy law came into effect. That is China's Personal Information Protection Law, a.k.a. PIPL. So how will this law impact multinational corporations? Well, this was a question posed by our senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field, to attorney Lisa Soto of Hunt and Andrews Kurth. Here's her response. It is a very significant law. It's part of a set of laws in China that we need to think about for multinationals. I say it's very significant on the one hand, and on the other hand, it's not significant at all, and I'll explain. It's a very difficult, stringent, and detailed law. The rules are, of course, inspired by the GDPR. The time that we were given to comply was very aggressive. It was a very aggressive timeline. So the timeline didn't even give companies enough time to get to the starting gate, much less the finish line. So when I say not significant at all, it's what I mean by that, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but many companies just haven't focused on it at all because there was so little time and so little ability to prepare to get into compliance. So I think what we're going to see is this law, the compliance programs to comply with the PIPL are going are going to start building steam. And eventually the PIPL will be part of a bigger set of laws that companies will comply with and will take very seriously. The good news is that the PIPL really is inspired by the GDPR. So a good GDPR program will go a long way toward compliance with the PIPL. And finally, ISMG's Matthew Schwartz recently spoke with Aerie Redborn of TRM Labs about the challenges of investigating cryptocurrencies and blockchain-related crime. Here is Schwartz, who serves as a guide through this crypto maze. 
cryptocurrency has a reputation for being difficult, if not impossible, for investigators to trace. Demand a ransom payment in Bitcoin or the more privacy-preserving Monero digital currency, and you can operate anonymously. Except that's not always the case. Bitcoin, for example, relies on a blockchain, which is an immutable public ledger of all transactions. While the blockchain only refers to alphanumeric wallet addresses, investigators do have some ability to follow the money and to correlate who owns a given wallet. Criminals often attempt to obfuscate where the funds are going. For example, Bitcoin mixing or tumbling services purport to take money from many different Bitcoin wallet addresses to mix it up and then to generate so-called clean coins. That way, users can convert their cryptocurrency into cash via a friendly exchange, breaking the chain of where it came from, at least in theory, because these tactics aren't foolproof. Namely, law enforcement and intelligence agencies have devoted some serious resources to identifying who might own any given wallet. New intelligence also continues to crop up thanks to takedowns of cybercrime forums or when suspects get arrested and their computers seized. Ari Redboard is the head of legal and government affairs at blockchain intelligence firm TRM Labs. He says it's not unusual that apparently dormant criminal investigations can spring to life when investigators get new intelligence about who might be owning or operating any particular Bitcoin wallet. I love when that happens. Israel, um, the Israeli authorities this summer listed a myriad um, addresses associated with Hamas. You see OFAC add uh, crypto addresses to the sanctions list all the time. And it's really helpful. I mean, we Ari emphasizes that cryptocurrency isn't inherently bad, but for cracking down on bad actors, one of the big moves being made by authorities is to try to get exchanges to comply with anti-money laundering, anti-terrorist financing, and other regulations, including the requirement to know your customer. The impetus here is simple. The US government and international partners are continuing to target the illicit use of cryptocurrency, aka crypto by ensuring that all cryptocurrency businesses follow the rules. When exchanges don't play ball, expect authorities to come calling. Recent examples include the Treasury Department in the US targeting cryptocurrency exchanges SUIX and CHADEX. Also, law enforcement authorities continue to arrest individuals accused of providing Bitcoin tumbling or mixing services or other money laundering tools. You know, it's interesting. I made this huge mistake. I have a friend who's at FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. It's really sort of the financial intelligence unit within the U.S. government. And um, I think I was on a panel recently, and he was in the audience, and I talked about unregulated exchanges. And I got a series of text messages saying that there is no such thing as an unregulated exchange. Okay, They might be non-compliant with regulations, but we regulate all of them, anyone that touches the US, the U.S. system. And I think that's right. Most exchanges right now are regulated in one way or another, sort of what FATF calls a VASP or a virtual asset service provider or what FinCEN calls a money service business are required to have robust compliance controls in place in a risk-based compliance program. So they should have 
policies and procedures, leadership, training. They should have blockchain analytics tools like TRM in order to monitor transactions. Um, and I would say that sort of the overwhelming majority of large exchanges, the ones that we sort of know about, have compliance teams sourced from private sector, from public sector, from law enforcement, from regulators, the sort of the Coinbase's, the Binance's, the FTX's of the world. I think sort of where things break down is are these sort of SUEXs of the world, the chat X's, these sort of un, well, non-compliant exchanges all over the world that maybe don't have those compliant controls in place. So for exchanges and other services that don't follow the rules, expect to see authorities increasingly either making them do so or else using every tool at their disposal to crack down. Lately, this has included blacklisting or shutting non-compliant exchanges or services, and in some cases, also arresting their operators. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Matthew Schwartz. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Music